Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank <laughs> you. 
Open the door for Lord to the Lord. All your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness for the present singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It's he that made us, that we ourselves. We are the people who is pastor. His gates thanksgiving. And to his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Bless the Lord is good. Mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures all generations. That is your scripture of the day. The hundredth song. Good morning to you. And thank you for listening. This is morning inspirations. So much on my mind, searching for that peace, the peace I could not find. Then I kneel down to pray, pray help me. Then he said, You don't have to try, cause I'll supply all your needs.
with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Yes, prayer time. Good morning to you and yours. Thank you for listening and tuning in. It's prayer time. It's prayer time is prayer time. Let's go to let's go to the praise. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all your many blessings. Thank you for everything you're about to do. And everything you're going to do. Everything you've done already. We thank you for it. We just don't know if this was by way of podcast, the last level of podcast. We just don't know if Thank you. Let's go for it. 
Just as distracted driving can lead us into a ditch, or much worse, distracted discipleship can lead us into dangerous territory too. We can be so busy and preoccupied with saving the institution of the church that what it's supposed to be about becomes almost impossible for us, much less outsiders, to distinguish. That's the Reverend Dr. Ben Gass, and today he brings you a challenging message of faith and hope in Lent. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. We're celebrating 70 years of faithful weekly broadcasts, beginning in 1945 as the Protestant Hour and continuing since 2002 as Day One. 
Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's preacher. Thank you, Sherry. Today on day one, we're delighted to have the Reverend Dr. J. Bennett Gass, Executive Minister of the United Church of Christ's local church ministries and a member of the UCC's four-person collegium of officers. Ben has worked at the UCC's national setting since 2000, before which he was a local church pastor for 12 years. He earned a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of completed graduate studies in administration and public policy at Murray State University, earned his Master of Divinity from Vanderbilt University Divinity School, and a Doctor of Ministry degree in preaching from Chicago Theological Seminary. Ben, welcome to Day One. It's good to be with you. You preached on Day One way back in 2003 when you were communication minister for the UCC's Justice and Witness Ministries. But since 2011, you've been serving as executive minister in the local church ministries area, a position elected by the General Senate. So what does your current role involve? Local church ministries serves uh, our 5,100 UCC congregations in the country in a variety of ways. We work in developing new startup congregations, help churches make big, bold decisions about their future. We're really focused a lot on congregational vitality, uh, making sure that our local churches have faithful and effective authorized ministers, doing research that helps our congregations, even helping with uh, building loans and uh, complicated uh, building projects. Uh, we really exist to ensure that our churches can be as excellent as they can possibly be. It seems there is a shift among major denominations from a top-down hierarchy. Seeing this phenomenon as you work with the local congregations. Well, the UCC has never been known as a particularly hierarchical denomination, right? But uh, there is a lot of validity to the statement, and I think the way we're seeing it within the United Church of Christ is, I think we are less the national denomination be the somehow experts mm -hmm. on what basis church, but more so in being resourcing and networking so that we can bring churches together, investing a lot of our energy in what we're calling inspiring models of ministry. So helping churches that do things really intentionally including people with disabilities or uh, art and music and worship or doing things intergenerationally. Uh, we can bring people to churches so that one church can teach another church what they do so well. You've had a long career at the national church level. Before your current role, you were the UCC's news editor, communications director, at a new cross-ministry department called Publishing, Identity, and Communication. So much of your earlier work involved communicating. Why is that important for a denomination, and how does it work? Well, some of the most exciting work that I did uh, for the denomination was in the area of communications. It is an exciting place to be in ministry. I'm basically a church generalist, so it's, it works well to be in communications because you get to dabble in a lot of different topics uh, related to our denominational life. Um, we see ourselves in the UCC as a church with a big, bold public voice, or at least that's who we want to be. And, uh, and the work of communications is essential to getting our message out there and in the public marketplace that we can actually be a witness for justice and peace, which is so important to our denomination. And identity has been a vital part of the UC communications efforts, particularly the very well-known God is still speaking campaign that you've led. How does that approach serve as a model for expressing church identity? Well, as a united and uniting church, it's sometimes hard to really 
tell your story. Mm-hmm. We are not able to one person like a John Wesley or a John Calvin, and that's who started our movement. But instead, in the UCC, we have many men and many women, the various streams and traditions that now make up the Church of Christ. And so the God is Speaking movement really was an opportunity for us to have a common language, not as Congregationalists, not as frontier Christians, not as Evangelical or German Reformed, but instead that we could come together and say, this is who we are. Um, and, and it's been interesting now, there's this common vocabulary that we didn't have before. If you enter in any one of our congregations, you're very likely to hear the words, no matter who you are, journey, you're welcome here. That's given us a sense of our as UCC people. This week, the church is about at the halfway point of the season of Lent, and your sermon is based on the gospel lesson for this Sunday, the well-known story of Jesus' angry cleansing of the temple from John chapter 2. Would you read it for us? I'd be happy to. The Passover of the Jews was near. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changed at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making God's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. Then we look forward to learning more about this. Your sermon is entitled, Driven from Distraction. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program, read or share a transcript of Ben Getz's sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. church I once served as pastor, there was an infrequent attender who was always chasing after various get-rich-quick schemes that never amounted to anything much. Most of her pursuits involved little work and little investment, especially on her part. And it seemed all of them involved the pyramid of other people's money. One time she set up a meeting with me to try to sell the idea that together we could get the whole congregation involved in selling prepaid phone cards. An item that you may have forgotten about now was something that was quite popular back before we all carried cell phones. The idea was that credit card-like things that contain a set number of prepaid minutes for long-distance calls. Instead of the hassle of dropping coins into a payphone, you simply entered the numbers on the card and talked for as long as you had minutes available. 
My parents used to mail me phone cards in college, which they would expect me to use to call home. Calling card rates were cheaper than dialing and you could always get some really good deals if you shopped around. My parishioner's idea was brilliant, and she was just sure it would provide the church with all the cash we would ever need. Everybody needed phone cards, she said, so why not involve everyone in the church using and selling them, all in cahoots with one provider she was working with. A certain percentage of each card sold come back to the church. 10%, she said, as to imply a tithe, so the whole transaction would be very biblical. Another percentage, of course, would go to her, and to me too, if I would get in on the ground floor. Because not only would each parishioner be selling phone cards, but they also would be expected to enlist a minimum number of their friends and relatives in selling phone cards too, before they could be vested in the program. Soon we'd all be getting very rich, whole town and far beyond because the income from each purchase would be distributed up the pyramid, actually back to her and to me. And oh, and the church, of course. And all along the way, each would take their share of the loot. Everybody would win. And because she knew of our church's deep commitment to social justice, she said this venture would also qualify as a ministry to the poor, because we would be helping lots of poor folk to get some really good phone rates. I listened as patiently as I could while she outlined her plan. And I'd like to think her heart was in the right place, but mostly all I could think about was what a lousy, stinking job I had done teaching basic Christian stewardship to the members of my congregation, at least as far as she was concerned. I explained why I was not interested, basically because apart from the fuzzy math and the serious ethical considerations, not to mention the obvious IRS investigation she would be inviting upon us. It was also a complete distraction from the core mission of the church, which is to help people grow in our love for God and for our neighbor. Anything that takes our attention wholesale away from the focus is a hindrance to the church and its people. Good discipleship is what yields far more dollars for the church and more justice and kindness in the world than any sideshow enterprise we might dream up, even if it would bring in both of money, which in this case, I sincerely doubted. So without my support for her plan, she left the office expressing great disappointment in me, because I was obviously letting a sweetheart deal for our little church slip away. But she didn't allow my lack of endorsement to dissuade her, because she still tried to enlist a few of her church friends in her supposed fundraising scheme. Once at coffee hour, I thought I spied her with a few of her cohorts, talking informally about how they were going to launch their Donald Trump empire. I was so angry, I was tempted like Peter to grab my whip and drive her and her phone cards away from the church property. But then I thought better of it. Knowing her proposal was so lame, it would peter out on its own. And sure enough, in time, it did. Just to be clear, I'm all for raising all funds for the industry. We need the money. I like bake sales, and I have nothing to get thrift shops or secondhand clothing stores. I've eaten more than my fair share of spaghetti suckers in church basements for a good cause. I'll buy your kids candy bars anytime they ask, and in general, I think it's pretty lousy and insensitive when people don't. But one thing I also know, when it comes to the church, 
Unless our raising money is tied closely to strengthening the mission before us, that is to grow in our relationship with God and God's people, then it's all for naught. When Jesus entered that magnificent temple at Jerusalem, the one perpetually under construction, and he saw the cattle and the sheep and the turtle doves and the coin exchanges amid a throng of noisy people barking at and bartering with one another. One thing he didn't see, he couldn't see, was any semblance of a temple. The mission of that place, that reason for existence, come obscured. Now, we all know that construction costs money, a lot of money. And this system of offering unblemished animal sacrifice was designed, in part, to pay for the cost of building and maintaining an impressive structure. But what this system had become was a distraction, not the sustenance it perhaps was first envisioned to be. There, everything was for sale. Anything anyone could possibly want could be purchased there. It had become a giant marketplace. But if you went there looking for sacred space, for a house of prayer, a place where God might live, in other words, what you might expect to find at a temple, all of that seemed in short supply. Jesus knew and understood the temple system. He was part of the sacrificial temple worship. He knew the scriptures. But what he didn't like was the distraction that all this craziness had become. Sometimes collectively as the church, not just in our personal lives, we need to stop and clarify the purpose behind what we're doing. Sometimes one of the most faithful acts we can engage in is letting go of something that no longer serves its original intent. Understandably, perhaps, in our zeal to preserve the church as institution, we can get so preoccupied and busy with all that that we forget why we exist in the first place. Like Martha, who was busy and distracted by so many things, while her sister Mary took the actual time to relish in the very presence of Jesus, their house guest, we too need to stop and take inventory of how we're spending our time. Yes, we could spend it selling phone cards or something else, but even if we sold a billion of them without any clarity as to why or for what purpose, what would that get us? Then where would we be? Would we be anywhere near the heart and mission of God? If the answer is yes, then let's pursue it. If the answer is something else, then maybe we'd better step and rethink it. When I was a student at Vanderbilt Divinity School, one of my friends and fellow classmates was Becca Stevens, now an amazing entrepreneurial Episcopal priest and founder of the Magdalene House and Thistle Farms in Nashville. An incredible incredible social social enterprise that offers economic opportunities and a residential program for women who have suffered lives of prostitution, trafficking, addiction, and life on the street. And one of the things that emphasizes constantly in her ministry is that love is the most important force for social change in the world. And to the degree that we can stay focused on that essential truth, the power of love, and not be distracted by so many other things, we can accomplish amazing feats against great odds. It was from Becca that I learned that the great Anglican theologian of the 19th century, F.D. Morris, wrote in 1860 
about how the frenzied busyness of the world was keeping people from participating in the mission of the church. Again, that was in 1860. But rather than scoff at that premise, Mecca agrees with it. And she says she'd love to have a conversation with F.D. Morris now because she thinks that both of them would agree. It's not any busier now. It's just a different busy. And it will always be a different busy. So what we have to do is to make faith work our first form of busy, she says. Being busy loving one another. Being busy serving one another. Being busy forgiving one another. Because when we make space for loving the world and making that our first form of busy, the other things will follow. In the book of Acts, Luke, who wrote it, begins the sequence of the gospel with all the disciples standing on a hillside, scratching their heads and staring up into the sky, immobilized after Jesus had ascended from the earth. And in that awkward, paralyzing moment, an angel of the Lord appears to them and says to the forlorn and understandably confused followers of Jesus, Galileans, why do you stand staring up into heaven? It really just might be the best question posed in the New Testament. Why do you just stand there staring into outer space when what you need to be doing is looking around instead? There is so much to be done and to do for the cause of love. We don't have time to be distracted. Lent is the time in the church year when we focus on setting priorities, gaining some clarity and perspective again on what really matters in our Christian walk. Just as distracted driving can lead us into a ditch, or much worse, distracted discipleship can lead us into dangerous territory too. We can be so busy and preoccupied with saving the institution of the church that what it's supposed to be about becomes almost impossible for us, much less outsiders, to distinguish. It's why the prayer of the church has always been, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Because without that clarity and mission, why and for what purpose we exist, sure enough we will find ourselves listening for and looking after the wrong things, chasing after distractions, because our distractions often serve our need to feel useful, even if they serve very little other purpose. The kingdom of God, she said, is like a merchant who stumbles upon a pearl of great price. It's like the leaven in bread, like a seed with a hidden potential to grow into something magnificent. It's hugely important, but it's not always easy to spot at first glance. In fact, it's rather elusive. Maybe that's why distractions are often preferred, because at least they seem concrete and can make us feel religious, because the work of love, justice, forgiveness, reconciliation, that's harder to discern, much less to proclaim and to implement. To be sure, when Jesus entered the temple marketplace, and began cracking whips and turning over tables and causing mayhem and making a mess. He didn't much look like the images of the Jesus I had grown up with, especially in the pictures hanging on the walls of my Sunday school classrooms. Oh, I knew how nice and sweet he was, a docile fellow. We saw him holding little sheep and welcoming children, and above all else looking serenely prayerful and peaceful 
and in touch and in tune with God. But we need to remember this, Jesus, too, who wants us to remember that just because we're down at the church and keeping busy, it doesn't necessarily mean it has anything to do with redeeming and reconciling the world. It could just be distraction from which Jesus, too, wants to save us. Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Oh God, keep us focused on what really matters, drawing people closer to you and ever closer to their neighbors, which Jesus defined for us as the outcast, the stranger. This is the hard work you call your church to be about. It would be so much easier to chase after other enterprises instead. But give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might not be a witness that is ours, nor shirk from your persistent, redemptive work in the world. Amen. Attention, passengers and church leaders. The Festival of Homiletics is the premier preaching conference drawing nearly 2,000 preachers from across North America and around the world. The 2015 festival will be May 11th through the 15th in Denver, Colorado. Five days of fellowship and faith. A stellar lineup of outstanding pastors and teachers from across the country will offer the finest preaching and cutting-edge thinking about communicating the faith today. It's all aimed at inspiring you and your people as a herald of good tidings. For more information about this extraordinary gathering, go online to dayone.org and click on the link for the Festival of Homiletics. the story about a fundraising scheme a parishioner pitched years ago which he was sure would make a ton of money but he money down and said it would have been a complete distraction from the core mission of the church to help people grow in love for God and neighbor. It's easy for churches to get distracted from their core mission it seems. Would you say more about why that mission is so important and why we all need to get our I think we tend to think we tend something that happens away from church, and if we could get rid of those distractions and just get to church, then therefore we would not be distracted. We oftentimes find ourselves distracted, even within the faith community, because we're so worried and anxious about many things. It's really important about the church, helping one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, helping us to grow in our discipleship. Sometimes that becomes secondary to other things that we're pursuing. Jesus encountered the same sort of distraction in the temple, and in him, the whole system had become a distraction from God's intention rather than the sustenance it was envisioned to be, he told us. Jesus was painfully clear about the purpose of the temple, and you said we also need to stop clarifying the purpose behind what we're doing. And sometimes one of the most faithful acts we can engage in is letting go of something that no longer serves us. What might that cross 
look like in a congregational setting. Sometimes in church life, the things that occupy our time are sometimes things that really drain us of energy. Mm-hmm. We're so busy planning the 132nd annual Christmas Bazaar, the seventh challenge, that we forget that those things may be directing us toward the work and will of God. They may be distracting us. And it's okay to let things that no longer draw us closer and nearer to the will of God, which is to love God more and to love our neighbor more. Lent is the time of the year when we focus on setting priorities, gaining clarity and perspective again on what really can walk. That's not always easy. Do you have suggestions you have about suggestions. how to do that personally? I think there's been a lot of focus in our society about what we're going to give up Lent, mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. focusing on what is our discipline going to be in Lent. I think that's why devotional books, because we can actually say, I'm going to do this one thing every day, or taking on something, something that is a change in our behavior, so it feels different at another time of the year. There's an increased attention about practicing our faith by reading scripture, by meals, by praying before we go. I think those practices help draw us nearer to God, especially during Lent. Ben, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind this week? What I hope people will really remember from the sermon is that we can be distracted within the church as well as away from the church. And so it's not just about spending our time there, even though that is the important thing. We need to realize uh, always need to be clarifying our objective. Is the work that we are doing drawing us nearer to God and nearer to one another? Ben Guest, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to having you back next week. Enjoy. A1 is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at day1.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.
This church is converted. Watch your handbags. Some church members profess one thing but practice another. But when one becomes a Christian, he never forgets the reverence due to God, the rights due to man, and the respect due to self. The Christian life is your church going, hymns singing, escape from the obligations of life. It's real, and it shows its influence in your life. The Bible, in describing a Christian, says he keeps his promise. Even if it ruins him. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's daily devotional, Seeds from the Sower, write The Sower, Matter, Georgia, 30439. Visit us on the web at thesower.com. Johann Sebastian Bach, fire master and composer, wrote dozens of cantatas. Each one wove music and mood to present that Sunday's biblical text for his mostly illiterate congregation. At the bottom of each handwritten page, Bach signed three lines, S-D-G, Sole Deo Gloria, Latin for the God's glory alone. Bach's cantatas rang out his devotion to God and his desire to serve God in his music, in his work. This is Howard Bud Jr. of Laity Lodge. While we may never write choral music to last the ages, we daily compose our lives in classrooms, offices, shops, homes. We can inscribe each page with SDG to God's glory alone in the high point of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. Welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a hundred times. I found something I like even more than we treasure. Tis the ocean. Beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers, thinking all fish and coral below me. Oh, wait. What's that floating by? It's a plastic bag. Five blackbeards, I patched that. Disgusting. Why did you know that? Many things come from folks throwing them carelessly on the ground. That'd be true. Lend us a hand by all the hands. Don't dispose of your trash properly. Boys. Get the plank ready. Somebody's got to dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? Uh, All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! Find out what you can do to help keep the oceans healthy and keep oceans clean. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Science and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to live. He has done the impossible time after time. He has out of a mountain in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, the 
is still headlined in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine, no special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings. Well, hands of the letter jackets. Welcome once again to Grand Slam Bandstand, where every hit is a Grand Slam. I'm yours truly, Ribbon Frankie Rundale, your hit master, and the black tracks of black wax from the here and out to the way back. And please, keen teens, remember out there that we're still having a twist contest. There's a few more days left to twist your way to that grand prize in Hawaii. Yes, indeed. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I met my wife there, you know. It was a surprise to me because I thought I left her at home. <laughs> well, hey! Yeah, but you know, I sit around that. The next fellow we have coming out here is somebody you really love because he's bringing you that crazy rock and roll beat. It's Dig, and he's also number three on the hit list this week. Please give a warm Grand Slam welcome for Major C and the Dunn.
paper. The lesson now begins. First up, church artillery. We are war with sin. God trains us to evangelists. The promise prophets do. Pastors teach us five and all. We got work to do. The sermon comes in interpretation, prophecy, and faith. Wisdom, knowledge, healing, miracles, yet. Three. 
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me, Lord Jesus. I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on the cross and paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that put you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of sin, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved.
Save me. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.